0: Do you want to turn to Genesis chapter 25? I did get that right, didn't I? Yes. Genesis chapter 25. Well, I get my step ladder out? I don't need a step ladder. All right. <laughs> That's for later. Genesis chapter 25, and I'm just going to pray, and then we'll see what God has to say for us. As if he hasn't been speaking already. Fantastic. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who speaks to his people. We thank you that you're a God who wants to reveal yourself to us, to humanity, more notably to your people that you're gathering those of us who accept you rather than reject you. Lord, we thank you that you want to continue to speak to us as we grow, as we step into the purposes, the promises you've given us as a church. Lord, I just pray that we will be able to listen. We know you speak. Lord, may we truly listen, receive and act on what it is you say to us, even this morning. So, Holy Spirit, come and open our, open our hearts that we might receive and and be ministered to in whatever way is appropriate to us, as we've just been hearing. For each of us, it's different, but you know what we need. So come and have your way amongst us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, continuing Genesis. Um, we've already been hearing recently about Abraham, the great father of the promised family that God going to is gathering, has been, and is still con- continuing to gather to himself, both at the time through Abraham physically, biologically, but then, also, of course, in other ways as well, spiritually, a spiritual family that we are now the recipients of, and uh, we've now got reached to a point where we've heard about Abraham, we've heard about his son Isaac, who was willing to give up for, for God to sacrifice for God. But of course, God came through. That we heard David Jung speak so well on a couple of weeks ago. If you haven't listened to that, then grab it on the website. Fantastic. And then we heard last week, I thought John was outstanding, speaking again about how Isaac um, found himself a bride. And actually how, more importantly, it's not just a good way of doing marriage, it's actually how God came for us. How Jesus, the bridegroom, has come for us, his bride. Marriage is not um, a picture language that God uses to describe him and his people. Marriage is actually a picture language version of what God is doing with his people. We need to get it the right way around. As we heard about that, if you, again, if you haven't listened to it, listen to John last week. I wasn't here, but I've listened to it during the week, and he was fantastic, really good. Now, we're not going to read through the first half of chapter 25, but through this section, you'll find out that Abraham dies, as we all do. That's what happens to all of us. Even the great father of the great promise that has to come an end for him, for his time on this planet. And that's what happens. And he passes away. Now it's been passed on to his son, Isaac. And then in turn... Onto his grandsons. So let's find out what these guys are like. From verse 19. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac. And Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to be his wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramaean of Paddan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramaean. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife. Because she was barren. This is, uh, keeps repeating in their family. Something in their blood, isn't there? maybe? And the Lord granted his prayer. And Rebecca, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her. And she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. And two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve The younger. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. See, we got ultrasound these days. Those days they had God. You see, it's good, isn't it? It's clever, isn't it? The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau, which just relates to the word hairy and red. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob which relates to the word heal, and as we'll find out later, also relates to the word deceiver. Ooh. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man, dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once, when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew, for I'm exhausted. Therefore his name was called Edom. It's another word that means red. He's got his thing about the red colour, isn't he? I wonder what his favourite colour was. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. We're going to dig a bit deeper into what quite what that means in a minute, but this is just a simple tale of God, as we find out later, bestowing huge responsibility on priv- and privilege on the unlikely character in the story. First of all, let's play a little game. I've got my ladder. This is my morality ladder. Up is good, down is bad. Is that easy? Yes. Okay. So here's an easy one for you. God, should we put them at the top? Yeah, Yeah, I think so. Excuse I. Ultimately, this should really be a... I've lost my sticky bit. What's happened to my sticky bit? This should be an infinite ladder, really, shouldn't it? Just to give God all his credit. But for now, we'll have to make do. Always have someone holding the bottom of the ladder at all times. Yes, Derek. Yes, Derek. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't know that story, come and find us later. A- April will be delighted to tell you. Yes. She? Yeah. Okay. Let's put someone else on the ladder. Where do you reckon this person should go? It's quite an easy one, really. Hitler. Right, right at the bottom. Right, on the floor. Oh, oh my word. On the floor. I'll put him somewhere so you can see him. He's on the bottom rung. Hope these stick. Okay. Here's an interesting one for you. Don't cheat. Now then, where should this person go? Who's it going to be? Mother Teresa. Where she should she go? Higher, lower, it's like Bruce's play cards right, higher, lower, Some, who, he said what, someone said in the middle, three quarters, three, back here, down a bit, About there, okay, to squeeze them in, we can squeeze them in, I haven't got loads, I've just got a few, Here's another. Who are we going to put on here? Is she? I'll talk about that bit later as well. This is just about morality, about good or bad. Billy Graham. If you don't know Billy Graham, a great worldwide global evangelist. Higher higher than Mother Teresa? Lower? Under Mother Teresa? Higher. How many lowers? About the same. There's a comment. Are we happy with about the same? Okay. I'll have to stick him here somewhere. Oh, he's, he's ended up a little bit higher, just so he fits on. Okay. One more for now. Depends <laughs> which way you're looking at it. This isn't about are they in heaven or not. This is about how good or bad they are compared to each other and compared to God. So, whether she's dead or not, she still stays somewhere in the middle. Well, there's, more, there's plenty more names I could stick on here. But here's one for now. <laughs> Who loves me? Down, down, love you too Eileen. Right down the bottom, right down the bottom. A bit higher than, a bit higher than Hitler. Better. here, that'll do, Back there. That'll do, that's fine. Two more for now. Uh, two, two more for later. <laughs> what is it? What is it that makes people worthy or deserving of a very precious gift? What is it? You're all right, don't preach the end of my sermon. <laughs> but this is the point. What makes us worthy if to f- to give someone a free gift? What makes them worthy of receiving that? Either they've earned it. It's like your wages at the end of the month. You've earned it. You've laboured. A labourer receives his wages. You've earned a gift. You've worked for it. Or your character is of an appropriate quality that you are worthy of receiving and being responsible for that free gift. Does that make sense? That's about being worthy. These twins are an interesting pair in this story, aren't they? Very interesting. They're the new leads in the story. They're about 15 when Abraham dies. So they, they knew Abraham very well. Which of them was worthier of the promise? Interesting question. Interesting question. Let me just explain a little bit more about what this birthright thing is, first of all, um, because that can be a bit confusing. We can't really relate so much in this culture. So, birthrights. Esau, the red one, he was the firstborn. They were twins that were born at the same time, but one of them's got to come out first. They can't come out at the same time. Ouch. Esau was born first. He was the firstborn. He was the one who received the birthright. What this means is, he is the one who, upon their father's death, he would be imbued with all priestly and judicial responsibility for the family. We're not just talking a nucleus family of four or five people. Even Abraham had an army of 300 men. Do you remember? This is a clan. This is a tribe, really, isn't it? It's more than just a, what we call a family. This is what I mean. We've got to understand the difference in culture. The eldest, the firstborn, at father's death, he is the one who receives priestly caring, leading, serving responsibility and judicial responsibility making important decisions for the family he's the one who then gets that on his shoulders and he gets a double portion so for example in this family with two boys they wouldn't get half each of the inheritance at the parents death at the father's death Uh, Jacob would get one third and Esau the firstborn, would get the birthright and two thirds of the inheritance he'd get a double portion does that make sense? In a family of four children, the one would get two fifths and the others would get a fifth each. Does that make sense? I always get a double portion. It's little equivalent in our culture to really kind of connect with this. But what is a birthright for us? One thing, a birthright for us, is that being born in this country, at birth, your birthright is citizenship of of the British Isles. You're a British citizen. I got that just by nature of being born here. Ivan didn't. Ivan's got to work for it and answer lots of questions about sitcoms in the 70s or wherever it is and, and pay lots of money. But, I don't know, I don't know what the questions are. <laughs> Name all the Eurovision, I don't know. But you've, I don't receive Brazilian citizenship because I wasn't born over there. Ivan's birthright is that he receives Brazilian citizenship by the mere fact of when and where he was born. Esau, because of when and where he was born, he's the one who received the birthright, future responsibility and the double portion of the inheritance. Does that make sense? What his little brother does, not so little, his younger brother, he manipulates this out of him. There's some dirty play going on, and in fact, in two chapters for time, we'll find out that him and his mum get up to even more naughty tricks about receiving a blessing as well. The question I've been thinking see, they just haggled over this stew and haggled over this birthright. Esau's gone, yeah, all right, then Jacob says, thank you very much. Was that legally binding? Was it? Could Esau not have gone, when he woke up the next day, with a full belly, gone, what have I done? He goes, well, I wasn't really have full mental capacity at the time. I was tired, I was vulnerable, I was absolutely starving. I felt like I was going to die. I wasn't, I could talk and eat, but I felt like I was going to die. It didn't, that was a bit unfair and it doesn't really count. It's a bit like, what did I do last night? I was very drunk at the time, as some people say. It excuses responsibility in their eyes. Or could not even Isaac have heard about what's going on? You sold your birthright for a what? For a bowl of stew? Load of old rubbish. Don't don't listen to your brother. Everybody, just to make sure you're clear, Esau's still got his birthright. They were just being stupid little boys at the time. Isaac, could he not have just annulled it? Said, no, it doesn't count. What we have to understand is that blessings and curses, particularly back then, in some ways now, but particularly back then, blessings and curses had power. Words have power. For many of us in our age, the way supernatural works kind of thing, I'm going to go into it now, but for example, words still have power depending on how we receive them. You'll never amount to much. If you keep believing that when it's spoken over you as a child, you will grow up living in the light of that. You'll think small of yourself and you never will amount to much because you're not willing to step out because you don't think you're worth it. You believe those words, you give them power. Or you can decide not to receive them and you can end up a global CEO or whatever. There's words have power depending on how you receive them. There is such a thing as curses and Christ in me expels all curses and you're getting involved in Freemasonry, there are curses involved in that. Don't touch it with a barge pole, for example. But generally speaking, words have power depending on how much power you allow them to have on how you receive them. But what we have to understand then, in that culture, what Esau and Jacob agreed verbally between them, they both considered themselves bound to. No matter what anybody else said, even if dad came along and go, doesn't count, they're going, yeah, but we said it out loud together. It was like we shook hands. Does that make sense? What is fascinating is that God knew this would happen. When their mum, they're doing this disco dance, having a wrestle in her belly, and she goes, Lord, what's going on here? What does he say to her? There are two nations in your belly. This is just an echo of what's to come in the future. In fact, what will happen is not just that they'll continue fighting, but that the younger will lord it over the older. The older one will serve the younger. God said that quite explicitly to her, even back then. What's even more fascinating, I'm not going to read it now, but if you go into Romans chapter 9, you'll find out that God was conducting the symphony all along. He was calling Jacob to this purpose, not Esau, for a reason. Even though Jacob was born second, God could have made it so that Jacob was the one who was born first. He could have done it how he wanted, couldn't he? When it came to labor time, he allowed Jacob to be the younger one, but he also orchestrated it that Jacob would be the one to lord it over his brother, to, for the older one to serve the younger. God elected Jacob for a reason. God was conducting this orchestra. Now, was he responsible for Jacob's actions? No, not at all. For well, God knew what was in his heart, knew what was happening and he used it for his greater purposes. Read Romans chapter 9, it's fascinating. He's talking about Israel, talking about a nation, talking about a bloodline. And you realise how much God has been at play all along. Absolutely fascinating. God calls people. Because then you start thinking, well, why did he call Jacob? Because you see, these character types have been reversed. If the younger was to rule over the older one, you'd expect a certain character type, wouldn't you? You'd expect him to be the stronger one. You'd expect him to be the natural leader and it would make sense why the roles end up flipping, wouldn't you? Because that's not what we've got here. Esau, his name means hairy, he means red. He's the fiery, kind of the naturally fiery leader, isn't he? Even by name, even by look. And you've got Jacob, whose name means heel, his name means deceiver. I mean, can you imagine that? all about words spoken over your life. Deceiver, dinner's ready. Deceiver, have you done your homework? Yeah? Deceiver, were you last one in the toilet? That is, every time his name's uttered, cheat, cheat, that's his name. He's the natural coat puller. Tugging on mum's apron strings. Don't want to leave you. No, don't go without me. I'll come with you. No, you stay here. No, I want to come with you. Coat puller. So Esau's the natural fiery leader, even by name and by character. Jacob, by name and by character, is the cheat, the the deceiver, tugging on mum's apron strings. Esau is naturally the sporty one. He's the hunter. He's been out hunter-gathering. While Jacob has been at home doing the cooking, he's the domestic one, he's the homely one. He, it, was, it, was, it says Jacob, uh, was it about tents? Uh, Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. He'd have had a lovely time next weekend, wouldn't he? See, Esau smells of sweat. And I'm pretty sure Jacob smelled of lavender. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? see the difference between these two character types? They're black and white, aren't they? See, Esau was the sporty jock. Jacob was the little nerd. Esau was dad's lad it even says it expressly verse 28 Isaac loved Esau because he of his game but Rebekah loved Jacob Esau was dad's lad Jacob was mummy's boy now which one out of these two is the natural promise bearer on paper I'd say Esau obviously which one would I want to lead me which one would I want to look after our family if I'm part of that clan which one would I want to lead us? Well, Esau, obviously. He's the one that goes out there and gets. He's the one who, who knows what he's doing. He's not, not the one who stays at home and hides in a tent and cooks some stew. We all need that, but other people can do that. I want a leader to lead me. I remember when we were at Prayer and Vision a few, a few months ago, Dan Goodman from uh, City Church Cambridge. He's like a big rugby-built chap. And uh, there was the Enough um, prayer video came on, and Dan was doing his bit. And my mate, Craig, who you met a couple of weeks ago, leant over to me and goes, I'd follow him into a fight. It's true he's got that he's, he, Esau is that kind of guy. I'll follow you. Jacob, well, no, I'll sit down and play chess with him, but I won't follow him as a leader. Esau is the natural promise bearer. And yet, roles got flipped. And yet, God knew it would happen. And yet, God was behind it all. What's going on here? It's a bit odd. Jacob was even arrogant enough to even attempt this, even think of asking who does he think he is? Very manipulative. But, yes, Jacob was unworthy of getting this. I think it's quite obvious now, yeah? Was Esau worthy of this? No. no. He despised his birthright. God makes sure it's in the text very explicitly that the last few words we read, thus Esau despised his birthright for a bowl of stew. That's like you and me, most of us in this room, giving up our British citizenship for a chicken casserole. Sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? That's exactly what he's done. See, the trouble is, we can despise the good things that God has given us, not just in this life, but promised beyond, not by words, but by actions. Actions speak louder than words, as someone here keeps reminding me repeatedly. It's a good phrase. Actions speak louder than words. Our actions can say, God, didn't need you today. I didn't need to chat with you, didn't need to refer to you, didn't need to think about you. I was perfectly fine on my own. We wouldn't dare say that out loud to him verbally, would we? And yet our actions in a 24-hour period can say exactly that. Can they not? Our actions can say, God, I don't believe you. I don't believe your capable of carrying me through this circumstance I don't believe you're capable of helping me sort my finances out, I'd rather cheat and swindle so I can pay the bills rather than trust you that there's a better way, I don't believe you I'm going to keep doing that our actions can say I don't trust you to come through on the prayers I've prayed, I'm going to stop praying now our actions can say I don't value your promises over me I know people who have had promises prophesied over them that other people have weighed and believed that is definitely what God's saying over your life and they've walked away and not acted out on it. You can lose a promise like that. People's actions, our actions, my actions can say, God, things in this life are worth more to me than you right now because I need instant gratification and I'd much rather keep topping up with lots of little instant gratifications than trusting in you for eternal pleasure joy, peace, comfort, security. We can rely on our conversion as a ticket to heaven and in the meantime, if I'm getting there anyway, I can do what I want now. That's despising our birthright, isn't it? Actions speak louder than words. Where should we put Esau and Jacob on this ladder? What do you reckon? Where's my cello Here's a tricky one. Where should we put them? Esau, let's go for Esau first. Where do you reckon? All together? Lower? Lower than me. Thank you, Margaret. Always liked you. Jacob? Where should we put Jacob? Same place. Put them th- ah, let's put him in the same place. I like your thinking. There we go. Makes me feel better anyway. (laughs) Who deserved the birthright? Jacob or Esau? Neither of them. Neither of them. What's God up to here? See, the problem is, it's Billy Graham, Mother Teresa, through me, Esau, Jacob and yourselves to Hitler. There is a big mountain to climb between us and God, isn't there? Now, many people in this life, sometimes ourselves, try and climb that mountain a little bit more by being more good, by doing nice things, by trying to do more nice things than naughty things, be more good than bad. For every little lie we've done, we try and give the lady some money for the big issue outside Morrison so we feel better about ourselves or wherever it is. She's lovely, say hello to her, she's really sweet. We try and do these things to make ourselves better. We try and climb this ladder. Many people in this life who don't know Jesus, that's the only option they've got. Will it ever help them reach the top of the infinite ladder? No, of course it won't. Of course it won't. Even Mother Teresa, Billy Graham certainly knew that. Mother Teresa, actually, we were talking earlier about where she is, I, being contentious, I'm not even convinced she was saved, actually. She might have been, but I can't say for sure. Some of her doctrine was decidedly unbiblical. And I'm not even sure she placed all her trust in Jesus as a means to salvation. A lot of it was about good works. There was a very strong Catholic vibe in what she shared, what she spoke of when she was pinned down on certain subjects. And I'm still not certain that a lot of her hope was placed in good works rather than Jesus. I don't want to say that categorically, but we need to be aware of that rather than just assume. Because that is the point. That is the point here. Where does our future hope lie about being right standing before a right standing God? who is holy, who is set apart by his mere perfection, the overwhelming value of his love and goodness. How can we ever dare to stand in his presence? We can't without someone bridging that gap for us. And this is why God does what he does. We'll come back to that in a sec. God has been using manipulators, cheats, liars throughout history... To prove a point, Peter, the hot-tempered, quick-mouthed liar. David, the adulterer, murderer. Moses, the murderer. He's used these people throughout history. If I was God, if I was God, I'd use all the best examples. You want the good, perfect leaders. Yeah, follow them, be like them. They're the best ones to follow. Don't be like that. I wouldn't set them up and endorse them as a model. I'd endorse these guys. But for a start, there's no one like that to find. And secondly, that is the point. Because otherwise, the formula for salvation, for being right standing before God, is about our behaviour. Our behaviour at no point ever makes us right before God. Our actions that speak louder than words never change our standing before God. Jesus' actions speak louder than words. He put his money where his mouth is, if you like, and he willingly gave of himself that on those actions where he took our place for the sin that we needed to deal with, it was Jesus who bridged that gap. It was Jesus who stepped down amongst us. And for all of us, whether we feel better about ourselves or worse about ourselves compared to other people, whether we do more good or than bad or more bad than good, for all of us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And the whole cliche of, yes, even Hitler. I doubt it, but it was possible. No matter what you've done in your life, nothing you can do to make up for it, small or large, Jesus has. And the only action we need to take to be right before God is placing our faith, our trust in Jesus and what he's done on that cross and in rising again. See, this proves this is not about good works. All of us are unable to bridge that gap. All of us are broken. Neither Jacob nor Esau were worthy. The birthright, the inheritance, was. The promise of being a patriarch for God's chosen family on this planet. If that's not a worthy birthright and inheritance, I don't know what it is. No one actually was worthy to take up that mantle. They didn't match up. But God's grace... His undeserved favour, his love that pays a price, made it possible. 2 Corinthians 5, let me get you flipping to into a couple of verses. 2 Corinthians, 2, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. And here's the answer that God provided. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin. Jesus came and represented us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, the right standing of God. We receive Jesus' right standing. He took our sin upon his shoulders. So in Christ, we unworthy recipients receive a worthy birthright and a worthy inheritance, just like Jacob and Esau. Hebrews chapter 1 says that Jesus is the heir of all things. He's the Son of God. He's the firstborn, he gets the birthright. He gets the inheritance. He is the heir of all things. All things. Think about how big the universe is. And that's just the bits we can see. There's a supernatural side to the universe as well. Jesus is the heir of all of that. But then Romans 8, 17 says that in Christ and through Holy Spirit we become co-heirs with Christ. We receive the same birthright and inheritance alongside our brother Jesus. We receive pastoral, judicial, priestly responsibility for the family he's drawing on this planet. We get to share in that together, to care for one another, to love one another as Christ has loved us. And we get heavenly riches, we get eternal security, we get Holy Spirit, we get God's army of mighty angels all on our side all of a sudden you become a a member of the royal family. One more turning, Ephesians chapter 1. And here is Paul spelling out exactly this, which makes a lot more sense when you understand what we've just been sharing earlier about Jacob and Esau, about birthrights, about inheritance, about Jacob being called by God. God was orchestrating this all along. In flesh we are not worthy, but in Christ we are. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. In him, Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined, called. If you are saved, do you know that your name was in the book of life before the foundations of the earth were put in place? That's what Revelation tells you. That blows my mind. Before I was born, God had called me. Before Jacob and Esau were born, God had called Jacob. It's before he was born. God already declared what was going to happen. And before I was born, God already knew he had called me to be saved forever. Do you know he's called you? If not, come and speak to me afterwards. Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things, according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth... The gospel, the good news of your salvation, have believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Amen. <laughs> Amen. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit. We'll be talking about this in a, in a few weeks' time, but when do you receive the Holy Spirit? Is it a conversion, or is it later? Yes. There's the answer. You receive Him as a guarantee as a deposit of your inheritance. If you ask, am I saved? Are you aware of Holy Spirit at work in you? Do you, do you understand a, a peace that doesn't make sense sometimes, a joy that doesn't make sense sometimes, whatever circumstances you're going through? The whole fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, kindness, self-control. I think I've got it right. Are you aware of that at work in you, even if in some small way, when it doesn't always make sense, it's Holy Spirit at work in you, who is Holy Spirit, he's a guarantee of your future inheritance. Believe it, brother, sister. It's true. Holy Spirit's already been at work here amongst us. And if you don't know Jesus as your Saviour, if you don't know Heavenly, Holy Father God as your Father, if you don't know Holy Spirit, this amazing Godhead three in one, if you don't know God, now is your time. As Malcolm mentioned earlier, 2 Corinthians 5, 2 Corinthians 6. Now is the favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. It's available now. Here and now. Should we just pray and then we're going to sing a song?